Welcome to the Security Sessions podcast, brought to you by Talist and hosted by me, Nera Jones. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the technologies, people, and processes behind information security and delving into topics like data security, remote access, and digital transformation. We'll be speaking to Talis and industry experts to bring you fresh perspectives on how to navigate the world of cloud security. Today, we have another bonus episode of the Talis Security Sessions. Network security encompasses the security tools, policies, and techniques used to monitor, prevent, and respond to unauthorized network access. Having such a broad definition and therefore a challenging approach, it is important that businesses know what key areas to focus on and what enterprise tech solutions they should look to to ensure appropriate airtight protection. Forming part of an exclusive three-part cybersecurity podcast series from Enterprise 360, featuring Thales and host Dr. Eric Cole, founder and CEO of Secure Anchor Consulting. This first episode looks at data in motion and future-proofing from a quantum perspective. Dr. Eric speaks with Julian Fay, CTO at Senatas, a global partner of Thales. The pair explore the primary concerns of network security within the realm of data in motion with the help of key findings from Thales' latest global survey on the encryption of public-private networks. Julian additionally delves into the quantum-resistant network encryption solution and the future of security and encryption. Enjoy! Enterprise Management 360 your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to this EM360 podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Cole, and I will be your host for today's podcast. I am the founder and CEO of Secure Anchor Consulting, a company that is focused on building out effective security roadmaps that actually work to protect an organization. In today's podcast, I'll be speaking with Julian Fay, CTO at Senatas, a global partner of Talis. We're going to be looking at data in motion and future-proofing from a quantum perspective. Thank you for joining me today, Julian. And if we could kick things off by you letting us know a little bit about yourself and how you got started in cybersecurity. Thanks, Eric. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, so my background is I grew up in England and I studied electronic engineering. And for the first few years of my career, I was working in developing various hardware and software solutions. And then about just over more than 20 years ago, I actually moved over to Australia, which was an exciting opportunity for me. And my first role there was working on network security for some very old network protocols that um, some of your audience may remember called X25, which was an early packet switch network and frame relay. And that got me really interested in communications and how we build network infrastructure. And that, that was a period when we were really just starting to evolve our high-speed communication backbones from copper to high-speed fiber optic. And it kind of begged the question, 
how are we actually going to secure these new high-speed infrastructures? So I was lucky enough to be a uh, partner with a couple of colleagues, and we started um, um, a small business to build uh, an encryption solution to secure some of these early high-speed um, networks. And we, we developed, took us a couple of years to develop a first technical solution, but I guess we were pretty naive when it came to the commercial side of things. And we quite literally started emailing around anyone who we thought might have an interest in this product. And to our great delight, we actually got a response from Tarlis over in Florida in the US. And they said, oh, you better come over here because we've got a customer who needs some high-speed optical encryption. So cut a long story short, that was the start of many conversations and many and many trips the long way from Melbourne, Australia to, um, to the U.S. And we were lucky enough to basically win the contract to secure a U.S. Department of Defense high-speed fiber optic backbone in the Asia-Pacific region uh, in partnering with Talis. So that was great for a small company. And what we've really done over the last few years is build on that heritage to work very hard to design network encryption solutions as networks have continued to evolve and get faster and faster. And um, yeah, something that we're, we're very interested in. Oh, that was great. And I was smiling because Frame Relay taking me down memory lane. Like uh, I've been doing this for 30 years. So brought back some good, uh, so, some good memories right from the good old days. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and jump right into it. So when we talk data in motion, what are the primary concerns with network security in, in this arena? Yeah, so from my perspective, network security has two sort of fundamental roles. It has a protection role and a prevention role. So on the protection side, it's all about keeping the information that is sent across the network secure and protected. And when we think about the best way to do that, we normally think about the CIA triad, the sort of standard cybersecurity model for data protection. So that's confidentiality to protect information from an unauthorized access across the network. Uh, it's integrity to protect data from modification and availability to ensure that the network and the information remains accessible to authorized users uh, at all times. Uh, and of course, then there's the prevention side of it, which is really about stopping the network itself being weaponized and becoming an attack vector for entry into the organization. The network is often the attack surface whereby malware, ransomware can get into an organization. Denial of service is also another attack. So those two are the fundamental roles. And I guess we have a number of tools that we use to help us with that prevention and protection role. Um, so they include the obvious ones like firewalls, access control lists, intrusion detection, intrusion prevention, network monitoring. But I think that the bedrock of network security is encryption. Um, and I like to think of it as a kind of digital cement because I think it provides the foundation upon which all of our other cybersecurity goodness is kind of built. And I guess the particular challenge when it comes to network security is building security that is good enough to keep the, the information protected, but also allow the network to do its sole job, which is to get information from point A to point B. And often security can become a real bottleneck and have a real impact on user experience. So that's, that's the particular challenge with network security is keeping the network up and running and, and, and performing well, I think. And I love that, that encryption is sort of the cement that holds it all together because you're spot on is if that information isn't protected and secured, we're not going to be able to have uh, proper network security in place. So it's my understanding when we were talking a little bit before the show started that Talus recently published a survey. So can you just share a summary with the audience of what are the three 
key findings from that survey? Yeah, so this was a global survey that Tireless and Tech Target recently conducted. Um, it was sent to more than 500 IT and cybersecurity decision makers in global organizations. And it asked questions about their use, uh, current use of network security and encryption in particular, and what they saw as some of the future challenges that were coming up in this rapidly changing world. So we got the results recently and we've published a white paper on it. And I guess they were a little surprising to the extent that they have highlighted some concerns about how organizations think about and implement network security solutions, certainly relative to other cybersecurity threats. So I'll just talk about two or three of those findings. Um, so the first one was that nearly half the respondents, about 42%, stated that they either don't encrypt their network traffic or they don't actually know if they do, which I personally found very surprising. So that, that indicates there's a kind of bit of a lethargy and a lack of strategic focus on the network encryption side of their sort of cyber defenses. Because, you know, you can imagine asking a CISO or a CIO, do you guys have a firewall or do you use AV tools in your business? And they'd look at you like you clearly don't know what you're doing because every organization has those. So it was really surprising to hear that, you know, nearly 50% actually don't know or are definitely not using encryption across their network. So I, I would say that actually reveals a bit of a misunderstanding about the security of both private and public networks, because simply put, no networks are inherently secure. It doesn't matter whether it's a carrier-provided private network or the public internet. These networks do not come with built-in security, and it's really up to us as organizations to make sure that we put adequate protection in, in our environments to, to keep us safe. And then the second finding, which is kind of complementary to that, was that even amongst those who are encrypting, they're not actually thinking about the tools that they use to encrypt um, from an optimization perspective. So they're not thinking about how to optimize their use of encryption from a security or performance um, direction. And they tend to just turn on whatever encryption tool is available in the other equipment that they already have running. So many of the respondents indicate that they just turn on encryption in the firewall or in the router or the switch. And of course, today, you know, encryption is pervasive. You can turn on pretty much IPsec or MacSec in any router or switch or firewall that you get, and that may well be fine for many customers. But the truth is that not all encryption solutions are the same. They vary significantly in, in terms of security, uh, especially in terms of impact on the network performance, and they have different hidden operational costs. So, you know, I think like all tools, all IT infrastructure. Um, encryption should actually be a proactive choice. Customers should actually understand the different approaches that are available on the market and how to optimize them for their business from a performance and security aspect. And that's going to include things like as simple as key size and key management. Um, how often is an encryption key rotated? How often is it changed? Are you using a simple pre-shared key that may be in use for 20 years and nobody actually thinks about changing? What is the performance impact on the network? Because there is, or I, you know, all security imposes some sort of overhead and network encryption can, if not implemented properly, have a devastating impact on network performance. But it doesn't have to be that way. With modern approaches and modern tools, Today, you can build solutions that effectively let networks run as well with encryption as they can do without. And then I guess the final part of that was uh, regulatory compliance as well. 
you know, a lot of customers are running in industries where you do need to meet uh, compliance uh, with regulatory bodies. So making sure that you actually understand that the solutions you're using do meet those requirements. On the positive side, um, the, another finding from the survey, when we asked about what challenges do you see in the future and how are you going to keep your environments future-proof, um, nearly three-quarters of the respondents recognize that we're living in a rapidly evolving and changing world and that both networks themselves and the threat landscape are really changing. And particularly, there was a, a recognition of the threat posed by quantum computing to certain types of cryptography. So it's good to see that that's on the radar. And I think that it's really important that we start having more of the conversation about you know, what's going to become an upcoming cryptographic transition for all of us. Uh, and that needs to get on the risk register, in my opinion, of all organizations, both large and small. Now, you mentioned quantum computing there. So let's, let's drill down because that's an area to me that like a lot of people have heard the term, but they don't necessarily really know what that means. So can you tell us about what is quantum computing and what is quantum resistance network encryption solutions? Yeah, absolutely. It's an area that I'm personally very interested in following very actively because it's going to have a very large impact on the for all of us because we're all users of, of cryptography. So just, just to sort of try and summarize it in a simple way, and I should say I'm not a quantum physicist, so apologies to any of your listeners who understand this far better than I do. But um, there's obviously um, a lot of work and a lot of money going into the development of a new type of computing model, which we call quantum computing, which is a fundamentally different approach to computing architectures based on the strange properties of quantum mechanics, which uh, the physicists started understanding about 100 years ago. And um, some very clever people realized that we could exploit the properties of quantum mechanics to build a computing system um, that would allow us to drastically accelerate certain types of computation that, we, that were simply not possible on a classical computer. And without going into the physics of it, that's because of the very strange properties of quantum mechanics, like um, superposition and entanglement. So there's a lot of money going into trying to develop a useful quantum computer. But we don't have any such one today. We have very small-scale quantum computers. Um, many of your audience probably will have heard about Google building um, a quantum computer called Sycamore. Um, now, it had 53 qubits. So a qubit is the quantum equivalent of a digital bit. Um, 53 doesn't sound like very much, and it isn't very much, but it did allow Google to, to um, prove something called quantum supremacy, which was a demonstration of the solving of a particular chosen algorithm on a small quantum computer that is not achievable on a classical computer, which sounds kind of scary when you put it like that. You kind of go, oh, wow, is this our Terminator moment? Are the, computers, are the quantum computers taking over? Actually, no, it was just a deliberately chosen kind of useless problem, but it did demonstrate that even at small scale, quantum computers can do certain optimizations very efficiently. Now, the problem when it comes to cryptography is that should we be able to build a large-scale quantum computer, and we don't know for sure if we can do that, many people think we can uh, do it in the next five years, some people think we can do it in the next 10 years, probably I'd say the, the, the sort of working consensus at the moment is that it's going to take 15 years to 20 years to build a large-scale quantum computer. But if and when we can do that, the challenge is, is that we know that one of the optimizations that such a quantum computer would be able to do is to break the mathematical assumptions of security that about half of our current encryption technology uses. 
So that's what's called public key cryptography, also known as asymmetric cryptography. And that type of cryptography, um, using algorithms that um, you'll be familiar with, such as RSA or elliptic curve, is based on mathematical hardness and the assumption that a mathematical challenge is so difficult we can't actually solve it in any useful time using today's tools and technologies. But a quantum computer would completely change that if it was big enough and essentially would break public key cryptography in a very short time frame. Now, that's very scary because PKI or public key infrastructure is the bedrock, really, of our internet security and digital economy. So we have to take this extremely seriously, and we have been doing that in the industry. So industry and the in the NIST agency in the US, the National Institutes of Standards and Technology, have been working hard for five years to prepare us for this. And they've been working on a, a new class of public key algorithms that are called quantum-resistant cryptography. They're sometimes called post-quantum cryptography as well, which is, I find that term a little bit confusing. But essentially, they are the, the replacement for today's RSA and elliptic curve that we believe will be safe for against a large-scale quantum computer. So those standards have been worked on for the last five years. And we're being told that the draft standards might, for those algorithms might be released as soon as next year, 2022, in draft form. That process has worked through a kind of competition. Um, they basically went out to the best cryptographers in the industry and asked for lots of algorithms. They started with about 76, I think, and they've now whittled that list down to seven finalists. And of course, we'd like more than one algorithm to keep us secure. So basically, just to cut to the chase, over the next few years, we're going to see an inevitable transition in our public key cryptography. This will happen independently of progress in quantum computer because these will become new standards for national security and enterprise and every other, all of us basically will follow these standards over the next five and 10 years. So that in a practical sense, that means we face a massive upgrade of all the computing devices we use today that use any type of public key cryptography. So at Talis, we've been working very hard to prepare our customers for this transition. And our objective is to provide a stepping stone to move from today's world to the future world by using what's called hybrid encryption, which is a way of combining today's trusted security with tomorrow's emerging and future security. And if you put those two together and combine them, then you can actually have a very secure solution, which is still safe as we know and trust it today, but gives us protection in the future. It's kind of like, I kind of think of it as kind of like having a COVID vaccine. You know, there's been lots of vaccines out there on the market. They all have different strengths and trade-offs, et cetera. And it's good that there's lots of them. In the same way, we have lots of sort of quantum safe encryption algorithms that we'll start to hear a lot more about in the new next two or three years. Now, thank you for that great explanation. And, and it sounds like it's not just as simple as sort of uh, implementing encryption. There's a lot of things that organizations have to think about. So in terms of recommending a solution today, what are some key areas that you recommend that organizations need to focus on? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think particularly on the encryption side, you know, as our survey indicated, they really do need to take a more strategic approach to their use of encryption. You know, encryption, let's be honest, encryption isn't the most exciting technology. Nobody gets out of bed in the morning and gets excited about their encryption. It's all about cloud and AI and sort of sexy technologies. 
But I think encryption, as I said, you know, I believe it is the bedrock of our cybersecurity. So organizations do need to stay, start taking a more strategic approach to it. Certainly, they need to put in place that basic cyber hygiene mechanism, that CIA triad. And of course, they really need solutions that are going to provide them with long-term protection without compromising their network and application performance. And I can tell you from sort of hard-won experience that usability always overrides security. So if you turn on an encryption solution in your environment that reduces your effective overhead for effective throughput, sorry, by say 30 to 50%, then in reality, you're probably going to turn that encryption off. I've seen many instances over the last few years where encryption has actually been physically disabled and turned off because it has a significant performance impact on the network. But it really doesn't have to be that way. I mean, we've worked very, very hard for 20 years to build efficient, optimized encryption engines that effectively should allow encryption to run as well, so networks to run as well with encryption turned on as they do with it off. So I really would encourage organizations to think about the approaches and the technologies that they're using in their environments. And then, of course, you know, back to the quantum threat, they do really need to have an eye to the future. Um, networks are evolving very, very quickly. We've seen you know, a massive amount of innovation in the, the way that networks have been built and delivered. Most organizations are moving to cloud-centric environments, but the cloud is network-centric by design. And I, I always think of the network as the on-ramp into the cloud infrastructure. So even if you sort of think, well, all of my assets, all of my infrastructure is increasingly in the cloud, the network is what takes you there. So you actually need to think about how you're going to get there in what in reality is going to be a whole range of different complex network topologies. You know, most organizations have got data centers that they need to protect traffic between. They've still got traditional carrier MPLS backbones. They're using SD-WAN type environments to get into cloud access. So they really need to start thinking about that. But in particular, when it comes to the quantum transition, I would encourage all CISOs to get this on the risk register of an organization and to start actually understanding within your environment what, how, what is your use of public key cryptography, therefore what is your exposure, what are your critical assets, and how, when required, because we don't know the timing of this. You know, It's not out of the question that somebody will make a massive breakthrough in quantum computing that will really shorten the timeline. Uh, and, of, and of course, all encrypted information has a digital shelf life. So if you're protecting information today that you have to keep secret for the next five, 10 years, then that information, even in its current encrypted form, is already at risk. Because if we build a quantum computer in a shorter time frame than the lifetime of that data, somebody can decrypt it in the future. So I'm hearing from intelligence agencies about the harvest and decrypt threat in which threat actors are actually storing encrypted data today with the hope that they will be able to decrypt it at some point in the future. I, I sort of laugh because it's sort of like a, a back to the future, right? Where you're going to encrypt something with the hope that the future you can actually uh, re read the message. But no, no, that, that's great information. And you're talking about the future and quantum computing and, and what organizations need to think about. But what are some things they can do today to prepare for the future? So, so they're sort of ready for this and not caught off guard. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, we've been thinking hard about, about this question. 
Um, and, you know, I think we've seen a lot of innovation, like I said, in, in the way that networks themselves have evolved, but not a lot in terms of network security, network encryption protocols in particular. Most enterprise network encryption today is using protocols and algorithms that are more than 20 years old, um, like IPsec or an SDR or MacSec, for example. And they're fine for many use cases, but they weren't built for today's modern environments. And what we're seeing is the, the, today's, the days of the traditional wide area network, the WAN, a kind of, you know, where you just basically connect all your branch offices over a carrier uh, MPLS network back to a data center, they're going, they're rapidly changing. Those services will still remain, but they're being complemented more and more by cloud connectivity, um, high-speed internet, and you know, SD-WAN type deployment. And the truth is that most enterprises have a mix of network connectivity that they need to protect that encompasses you know, high-speed fiber, cloud accesses, plus the traditional WAN. So when we think about you know, how organizations can best protect themselves, we've been really trying to think about what should network security look like in this modern and rapidly evolving world. Um, and you know, one of the key components there is, is performance, as I said, which can actually be a real impediment to security. So I think having organizations need to actually uh, have a serious look at the performance and latency uh, requirements that they have for different traffic types running across that mixed environments. What we've been focusing on is basically trying to make network security much more um, commensurate with the way that we approach modern networks. So in an SD-WAN type environment, for example, you might be sending traffic over multiple different core networks. You might be sending traffic over a private MPLS layer 2 circuit. You might be sending other data over the public internet. Some might be going over a satellite or a, um, a cellular network. And you basically use SD-WAN to steer data over where the uh, over the network that best meets its security and performance needs there's no one size fits all anymore and we think that encryption should be the same way we don't need to encrypt everything using exactly the same approach by wrapping it inside a, an IPsec tunnel with header after header that drastically increases the size of the data and significantly reduces the throughput. So we've been focusing on building what we call network-independent encryption, which we think is a, a sort of more modern approach to securing modern network environments and allows you to basically simultaneously encrypt different traffic flows at the most efficient layer to meet the security and performance needs of the data. So, for example, you might send some data over a high-speed layer 2 circuit because you're still using a carrier to get back to the corporate data center. Other data might be going over the public internet, so you might need to encrypt that at, I, at layer 3 at the IP layer. Or you might be running a service that's got um, traffic flow steering or some policy-based routing in the middle of the network where you need to expose the TCP and the UDP headers. Uh, and there's no one-size-kind-of-fits-all. To, to meet these different requirements. So the idea with the, these more modern approaches is that you can do this in a very efficient, tunnel-free way, keep the network highly secure, uh, provide confidentiality and integrity protection, but allow the uh, encryption and the network to run at a very, very high performance level. So I think organizations need to kind of actually do some work and understand what is available on the market and how these technologies are rapidly evolving uh, in, you know, in line with the innovations that we're seeing in network security as well. Excellent. And as we start to wrap up with our final question, can you give us a case study that ties together everything we've discussed today? 
Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's, there's lots of use cases, I guess, I could talk about. Um, just to give you a, a quick snapshot of a few, perhaps, if that's all right. Um, so we're, we're securing a lot of the core cloud backbone infrastructure for some of the largest cloud providers in the US and internationally. Uh, and there, the use case is to provide very high-speed fiber optic connectivity. Uh, today, it's 100 gigabits per second for many of those large cloud providers. Um, soon, it'll be 400 gigabits per second. And, and those organizations are really concerned about extremely high-speed throughput. You can imagine, um, you know, if you're a large cloud provider, the amount of volume of traffic you've got across your backbone. But also, in that case, they have to meet very strict govern- government regulatory requirements. So um, in our products, we've got them certified to FIPS 140, common criteria, uh, and various defense certifications around the world, including NATO. So for organizations who are trying to attract federal government customers and defense organizations onto their infrastructure, that's when you would kind of need to use that kind of solution. Um, at the other end of the scale, we're doing a lot of work in critical national infrastructure. Um, so that's with utility providers in the power space. Uh, uh, we've recently done a project in the UK for a power company where we were securing some of their infrastructure. And that's that's very interesting because um, it Obviously, industrial control systems are, are, are critical infrastructure and very vulnerable to cyber attacks. Um, we recently worked with a customer who had a gas pipeline running through Central Europe. And there, they weren't so concerned much about confidentiality of data. It was more about the prevention aspect of weaponizing the network because they're running a range of IoT-type sensors and devices, um, SCADA protocols, um, et cetera. And they're concerned about somebody actually accessing the network opening a valve, um, you know, letting gas escape from where it shouldn't escape, rerouting uh, information or um, turning on power where it shouldn't be turned on. So the security that was required in that environment was as much about integrity and ensuring that everything that is sent is really authenticated and has not been modified maliciously as it was about keeping data confidential, which is how we often think about encryption. And then just finally, um, we recently got called in with a, to protect um, a national airport network where they were running a, a, a bunch of high-definition CCTV cameras around the network infrastructure. And this was in the arrivals hall as well as all the warehouses and all the sort of security parts of the airport. And they were, this was being monitored 24-7, and they were very concerned about the security of that data, that video traffic. So they turned on, they decided to encrypt it, and they put on encryption uh, in a little firewall from a well-known provider. It's a great little product. But what they found was as soon as they turned on the encryption that the overhead that was introduced meant that basically they couldn't um, monitor the video feeds in real time. They couldn't pan and tilt and zoom into the cameras that they wanted to because the uh, performance overhead was so high that it basically slowed the network to a crawl. So we were able to go in there. We put in uh, some high-speed hardware devices that use um, FPGA technology to encrypt data at basically at full line speed with extremely low latency. And we were able to demonstrate that they could run that network with encryption to meet their security needs, but still have full utility uh, of the information and, and get all the video access that they wanted to. So a few different examples there of, of where customers have taken different approaches to meet different requirements. Thanks, Julian, for your great insight on today's topic. And thank you to everyone who listened to our conversation. If you would like more information on what we've discussed today, make sure you head over to cpl.talisgroup.com. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of the Talis Security Sessions. Stay tuned for episode 12 coming soon. Thanks for listening.
Love this episode of the Talus Security Sessions podcast? Search us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast service to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to visit us at cpl.talusgroup.com to access previous episodes, bringing you insights from industry experts on the latest cloud and data security news and trends. Thank you for listening.